Hello, everybody, and Happy New Year. We're actually going to be making our way through an often ignored but very important book in the Bible for the next few weeks. It's the Book of Lamentations. To lament means to mourn or to be sorrowful. And that might lead some of you to think, why? Why, Pastor, would you choose to look at this book right now? I mean, the last few years have been brutal. The world is still in all kinds of upheaval. The weather is depressing. Come on, can't we look at something a little more upbeat, like maybe the book of Philippians? Can't we talk about joy for a while? I get it, but don't worry. Though Lamentations is a book of sorrow and grief, it's also a book of hope and joy. Because hidden sorrow keeps a person trapped in the past. Lament actually frees them to move forward. It's sort of like if you're stuck in the mud with your truck. Sometimes before you can get it out of the mud forward, you have to back up a little first. That's what we're going to do by going through the book of Lamentations. We're going to look backward at some of the things that have caused us great pain and loss and grief and sorrow so we can move forward. So lament is actually a great way to start the new year. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to be sharing some amazing benefits of lament today, of grieving, expressing sorrow, anger, and despair, and crying out to God for all that's wrong in our lives and in our world. But first, a little bit of history. And I, you'll have to excuse me, I'm going to geek out on the Bible a little bit here. Lamentations is actually a book of poems. You wouldn't know that because nothing rhymes in it, but it's a book of poems. And that is so appropriate because poetry helps so many people lament and grieve. The main theme of the poems we'll be reading is sorrow and loss, but it's a specific kind of sorrow and loss. It's the sorrow and loss that's centered around one event, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. This was a catastrophic event in the history of Israel. The city was absolutely obliterated. The people would have been traumatized. The title of the book in Lamentations in the Hebrew language actually contains the word ekah, E-K-A-H, which means how. How could this horrible thing happen to us? If the book were being written today, we might have entitled it something like, Why God? Or maybe just a long string of expletives, the book of blankety blank blank. The city of Jerusalem is actually portrayed as a woman in the poems. And the woman says in chapter 1 this poignant line, Look what happened to me. Look what happened to me. You can sense the despair in those words. This is a collection of poems about unspeakable pain and loss. Starvation is in the air. Cannibalism happens to be a real threat at this time. Children are being murdered. Priests are being slaughtered. And God seems so very, very far away. So far away that in chapter 2, God is talked about as being like an enemy. We Aren't you excited that we're going to look at this book today? Well, you should be, and I believe you'll get excited about it really quickly. In fact, right now, as I start talking about the amazing benefits that happen to us when we become people who are not afraid to lament. Benefit number one, depth. Christians have been accused of so many negative things over the generations, some of them true, some of them not true. One thing they've been accused of is being shallow people. 
I'm afraid that to a large extent that's been true. It sure has been for me personally. For years I lived this shallow existence because I didn't have the dimension of sorrow taking place in my life. I thought following Jesus meant acting all like happy, happy all the time. Sorrow and grief in my mind was just for those people that happened to lack faith, who weren't spiritual enough to arrive at their daily perpetual bliss. So I acted like sorrow simply didn't exist for me. I'm sure for some of the people closest to me, that made me seem very two-dimensional, and they would have been right. I believe the reason so many people lack the depth that sorrow brings into one's life is for one reason, fear. If we're honest with ourselves, we are afraid of sorrow. First of all, we fear it in others because it makes us feel helpless. When we're around somebody that's deeply sorrowful, we don't know how to respond when they're that sad. And selfishly, again, if we're honest with ourselves, we're afraid their sorrow might be contagious. It might infect us, it might get on us somehow like a virus or like flu. So we treat a deeply sad person just like we would treat someone who sneezes on an airplane. First we look at them with a little bit of a look of disdain and then we simply try at all costs to keep our distance from them. We're also afraid of our own sorrow. We're afraid if we take a deep dive into our sadness and grief, we might get stuck in it. And that's just terrifying. I have a friend who took a group of kids down to um, Disney World, and it must have been at least 20 years ago. It was quite a while ago. And one of the rides he went on was It's a Small World. I don't know if you've ever been on that ride. I have. It is definitely not my favorite ride. I hope I don't ever go on it again. You get in this little boat, and you travel through the different countries of the world, and all the while, this very annoying song is playing. It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. You know it, okay? You know it if you've been on the ride. Well, my friend got on this ride, and about two-thirds of the way through, he was going through Asia, and the ride broke down. And he was stuck there for the longest time with this annoying song playing. They wouldn't cut the music. And after he, the ride finally started going again, when it completed, he got off of that ride as fast as he could. It was like a hellscape being stuck in Asia with that annoying song going on over and over and over again. And to this day, I don't think he's ever been back on the ride again. He got off that ride as fast as possible. I thought that was what you were supposed to do with sorrow. I thought you were supposed to get it in your rearview mirror as fast as you could, get out of it ASAP, and then walk around with this perma smile on my face so people wouldn't think I lacked faith. That is now the definition of being shallow to me. It's, how, it's not how Jesus wants us to live because it's not how Jesus lived. In the Old Testament, there's a book of prophecy called Isaiah, written by the prophet Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 53, there's a prophecy about the life of Jesus. And Isaiah says about Jesus, Jesus is a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. So there you go. Jesus was someone who obviously practiced lament. He didn't run away from sorrow and grief. He had depth to his life. You know, back to Disney, there has been so many 
Disney villains and Disney characters that freak little kids out. I'm kind of surprised we let our kids watch some of those movies. But the character that freaks me out more than any of the villains, no, more than Cruella de Vil, more than Ursula the Sea Witch, is Pinocchio. He freaks me out to this day. Is he wooden? Is he human? We don't know. He walks around with a big old nose thing, talking to a cricket, and he wears lederhosen. Generally, as a rule, I find lederhosen is just be creepy, so Pinocchios always creep me out. But I appreciate one thing about Pinocchio. He wanted to be real. Instead of running from our sorrow or ignoring it, the Book of Lamentations teaches us to embrace it to look at it, to cry out to God about it, to lament it. And as we do, depth will be added to our lives. We will become more real. And somewhere, Pinocchio will be proud of us. Benefit number two, depth is the first benefit. The second benefit is honesty will grow in our lives. Blues music, I don't know if you've ever heard it. If you haven't, Google it. It's amazing. It became very popular in the United States, especially during the 1950s and 60s. People loved it for several reasons. First of all, they loved it because of the great musicians. Musicians like B.B. King and Etta James and Muddy Waters. They're just amazing. Again, Google it. Do yourself a favor. But people also love the blues for another reason. It's honesty. The blues is raw and real music. It embraces the jagged edges of life, which makes it resonate with people. The blues is simply lament put to music. Healthy spirituality, just like the blues, is always about honesty. Always. That's the beauty of the poems we will be looking at as we go through the book of Lamentations. They are brutally honest. And this shocked some people. It might shock some of you who go through the book of Lamentations for the first times. You'll read these words from these poems in this book and think, whoa, whoa, mercy. Is it really okay to be this honest with God? Is it okay to confess that we doubt God? Is it okay to confess that we're disappointed with God? Or that we're so angry with God, we want to shake our fists and scream at God like they do in the book of Lamentations? Is it okay to wonder out loud why God seems so far away? Well, the answer to those questions is a resounding yes. Yes, it is okay. And more than that, it's not just okay, it's good. God welcomes our honesty. And let me tell you why. Because God always has been and always will be a God of reality. So when we are honest, God meets us in that honesty. God can't meet us when we insist on living in denial and pretense because that's a fantasy existence. God doesn't dwell in fantasy. So to lament is to be honest and to be fully human and to be available to the God of reality. What a huge benefit in our lives. And lastly, the third benefit is this, healing. Psalm chapter 30 has this amazing line in it. It says, to God, you turn my mourning into dancing. We read those words and we tend to focus on the dancing because dancing is so fun. 
little side note here. My wife and I have been watching the Netflix show Wednesday. It's about the character Wednesday Adams from the old TV series, The Adams Family. And Wednesday is this high school kind of goth character and the actor just portrays her brilliantly in this show. But around the third episode, I won't spoil the whole Netflix show for you, but around the third episode, she gets invited to a high school dance at the school she goes to, which is called Nevermore, and it's for a bunch of outcasts like her. And she goes to this dance, and the music plays, and she does what is called online the Wednesday dance. It is absolutely epic. Once you see it once, you'll want to watch it over and over again. It's so fun to watch. Dancing is fun, but notice something about the words in Psalm 30 that we read earlier. The morning comes first. I believe many people are not experiencing healing at the levels that are possible in their lives. Healing to the point of dancing because they are not mourning and grieving at the levels that are necessary to achieve that. I mean, just think about funerals in our culture. I've told you before, I'll do your funeral if you ask me, as long as you ask me in advance or have your family members ask me. But I, I love to do them. It's such an honor and a privilege to be invited into people's pain like that. I hardly ever say no to a chance to do a funeral. But in the United States, you'll notice something about funerals. They're usually very subdued and controlled because we as a culture are very uncomfortable with sorrow and grief and public displays of very strong emotions. When I'm officiating funerals, I often invite um, family members of the deceased or friends of the deceased up to share some thoughts. And when they speak at the funerals, they usually get choked up with emotions and they start to cry. And the first thing they do almost every single time is they apologize for that. They apologize for crying at a funeral. How crazy is that? We, in fact, we don't even call them funerals anymore. We call them celebrations of life. We're trying to eliminate the very thought of death and the process of mourning. Compare that with other cultures. Maybe you've seen funeral processions from other cultures. People wail. They rend their clothes. They scream. Some of them throw fistfuls of dust up into the air. And when the casket is paraded by them, they throw themselves unapologetically over the casket. There is nothing reserved or subdued about funerals in other cultures. If we in our culture want to experience complete healing, We've got to first experience complete sorrow and mourning. We have to grieve to the core because ironically only grieving heals grief. No wonder Jesus says these words in Matthew chapter 5, which is part of an epic sermon that is called the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed, happy are those who mourn. How crazy does that sound? Jesus is referring to mourning as a blessed state for several reasons, I believe, but a biggie is this, because Jesus knows that the mourning is what will get us to the dancing. Now, people try other methods to get to the dancing. Some just try to stuff their sorrow and grief inside, and that never works. The sorrow just festers inside and usually explodes to the surface at a later date in the form of rage all over the people that you actually care deeply about. 
Hidden pain never heals. Let me say that to you again. It's an important thing to know. Hidden pain never heals. Ask any therapist and they'll tell you that. Others try to just ignore their sorrow. They don't try to stuff it inside. They just try to ignore that it's even there. I'm a person that grew up going to middle school and high school in the uh, mid-70s and early 80s. And at that time, physical education classes, PE classes, were mandatory. They weren't optional. We had them every single day of school, all through middle school and high school. And the PE teachers weren't known for being teachers that oozed compassion. They would walk around in their matching polyester jogging suits and have us do all kinds of events that usually involved an element of danger and pain. I can remember as a, I believe it was a ninth grader, and I'm in the middle of a growth spurt. I'm all elbows and knees, totally uncoordinated at the time. And they had me walk across a balance beam, this narrow beam, four feet off the ground, in my stocking feet. That led to a lot of people tumbling off the balance beam, or even worse, straddling the balance beam, and a lot of pain. There were other things we had to do. We had to wrestle. We had to box, boxing with no headgear. I'm not kidding you. But the worst event of all was an event called slaughter ball. It was even worse than having to climb the rope, which was just a horrible, emotional, scarring event. Only the steadiest kids in the school could climb that rope in the gym. Most of us just floundered around on it like Tarzan on a bad day. <laughs> so, um, but slaughter ball was even worse than that. And it's as dangerous as it sounds, especially when you're a freshman and you're playing the game slaughter ball against seniors that were much bigger than you can grow full beards. Well, eventually one of us would get hurt and the PE teacher would saunter over and always say the same thing. There was this phrase that almost every PE teacher had, walk it off, just walk it off. No matter how bad you were hurt, the PE teacher wanted you to get up and just walk it off. Again, they didn't ooze compassion. People try that with their own sorrow and grief. They just try to ignore it. It hits them like a wave and they just try to walk it off. But here's the deal. When immense sorrow and pain hit us, we can't just stuff it inside and we can't walk it off. So then people try to take it to the next level, the most extreme level. In our entertainment-driven culture, people try to counteract their sorrow, grief, and trouble with fun, with fun. I'm going to share with you some actual advice that's given to people that are deeply sorrowful, that are filled with sadness by a person that should know better. Here's some of the advice this person gave people. Number one, if you're deeply sorrow, sorrowful, do the splits. <laughs> are you kidding me? If I did the splits, it would not get rid of my sorrow. It would cause me more sorrow and pain. Number two, wear something sparkly. Number three, make up nicknames for your friends which is actually kind of fun. You might want to try that. Number four, I do like this one, announce your retirement from a household chore. I would love to go up to my daughter and wife and say, listen closely, I've been doing the dishes for over 50 years now and I'm retired. It's all up to you now. That would be great. And number five, I do like this one too, answer questions all day with other questions. How fun would that be? Somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, Tim, how's it going? And my answer is, how's it going for you? <laughs> you know, things like that all day, just to mess with people. Doing these things can be mood boosters 
but they don't truly deal with our sorrow and pain and trouble. A better list would be this. Number one, lament. Number two, lament some more. So yeah, are you sad? Are you angry about something in your life? Are you grieved by something? Not just in your own life, but about what's happening in your family or your city or your world? Then write it down and then say it or pray it or even yell it to God. Or if you're more artistic, write a poem about it or a song and recite it or sing it to God. And don't set it, self-edit yourself. Let it rip. Be R-rated if you had to. If you have to, God can handle it. Mourn and lament deeply and then wait for the healing to come because it will come. And Jesus is our model here. In John chapter 11, he goes to a, a funeral of a good friend named Lazarus. And he shows up and everybody is sad or mad like you are at most funerals. And he lets himself feel all of the emotions, the loss and the heartache. At one point he weeps. And then in verse 33 it says this, he was deeply moved, which is actually a Greek phrase that means he bellowed with anger. So Jesus is not holding back. He is weeping and bellowing with anger. He is lamenting. He wasn't doing the splits. He wasn't trying to walk it off. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. And I've always wondered when I've read this section, why didn't he just start there? Why didn't he skip all the mucus-inducing weeping and the loud, undignified bellowing? He could have, I suppose, but he didn't. And by not doing that, he is teaching all of us something really important. The mourning comes before the dancing. The lament comes before the healing. And now we're going to have Terry Reed come up here, a dear friend of mine, and she's going to lead us through an actual step-by-step practice of lament. And then as we leave today after that, I'm going to play a blues song. It's B.B. King's The Thrill is Gone. And you'll be leaving church with a really cool blues song that's actually a song of lament. Terry, come on up. 